0: Ecclesiastes chapter 3 it's on the screen it says God has made everything beautiful for its own time now look at me I'm looking at you and you are the most beautiful thing in creation you've come through some ugly times in life you've come through some difficult times you've had some struggles but what I'm looking at is the most beautiful thing in creation and that's you And you know that's how God looks at you.
1: az.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters.
0: If you have your Bibles, uh, open them this morning. We just have a a small portion of Scripture to look at, in Ecclesiastes chapter three. A few weeks ago, we started this series on great expectations. And I told you the story about a, about a, a woman that was a, a street lady, basically, over in England selling, selling flowers, selling different trades, if you will. Her name was Eliza Doolittle. And how this man, Professor Henry Wiggins saw her, and had a thought one day that a person, if somebody will just believe in them and they will believe in themselves, can far outstretch most of society. And this woman, Eliza Doolittle, later on this story, which was originally called Pygmalion back in the Early part of the 20th century, George Bernard Shaw had a play called Pygmalion. And the play was later redone in the uh, 40s and 50s into the version that we know as My Fair Lady. And throughout the course of this play, the woman was continually spoken into, encouraged, it lifted, and strengthened to become all That this professor believed she could be, and this woman later accepted that she could be. I have found that many times in this life, we get pressed in to what other people think of us. And sadly, unlike Pygmalion, unlike My Fair Lady, that's not always a good thing. I have counseled people for many, many years, and one of the things that I have counseled was a lot of young adults that grew up with their parents telling them they would never amount to anything. Parents telling them that they could never succeed, they couldn't do this. Why? Because they made a few mistakes. I don't know about you, but I've made a few mistakes. And God's done some pretty good things in my life. As most of you know, I come from a family of ten brothers and sisters. And most of my family is living, if you will, on the other side of the track. The proverbial other side of the track. And I have had people over the years ask me, What happened to you? And I told them, Jesus... But it was more than just Jesus, it was believing what this book said, he said about me, and applying what he said, I am, to my life. Now, I'm not going to keep us long this morning, because we have a a Christmas presentation that we're going to do at the end of this, but I want to make just a, a few simple statements, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it's on the screen. It says, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. Now look at me. I'm looking at you, and you are the most beautiful thing in creation. You've come through some ugly times in life, you've come through some difficult times, you've had some struggles. But what I'm looking at is the most beautiful thing in creation, and that's you. And you know that's how God looks at you. When God we we, we shared the story a few weeks ago when God was looking at Gideon, Gideon was hiding next to a grinding mill. And the angel of the Lord shows up to Gideon, and God's declaration to Gideon was this Rise, O mighty man of valor. Bit of a quandary there, don't you think? He's hiding. He's a coward in all of our minds. But what did God call him? Look at me quickly. It doesn't matter where you've been, where you're at. God calls you victorious. It doesn't matter where you've been, where you're at. God calls you an overcomer. It doesn't matter where you've been, where you're at. What matters is he's going to get you where you're going if you will believe what he said about you. Can somebody say amen? See, this is God's promise. This is God's word. He made everything beautiful for its own time. And listen to this. This is why we have this longing in ourselves. Even when we're not doing really great, we have this longing in ourselves that says there's something more. And this is why. Underline it in your notes. He planted eternity in your heart. God planted eternity the very best of everything he has in your heart. Yes, it's up to you and I to pursue Christ, to obtain the plan that he has for our life. But that was God's plan, and that remains to be God's plan. He wrote eternity in your heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Which then takes me over to Ephesians 2. Where it says, It's by grace we're saved through faith, that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. But then we drop down into the 10th verse, and it says that God created us to do good works. He created you and I. And he said that your life and my life needs to expect to play out the part that God created you for. God created you for a life of victory. Uh, you say, Pastor, I don't know about it. I don't have much victory right now. Did God change his mind? Could it be that I'm living under the shadow of what someone else said? Or maybe even what I've said against myself. Let's look at the scripture. He makes everything beautiful. Philippians 1.6. And I don't have a lot of scripture on the screen today. So I want you to flip through your Bible, if you will. Philippians. It's in the New Testament. You go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Just keep going on about four more books later and you got the book of Philippians. Philippians 1 verse 6 says, he will finish what he started. He will finish in your life what he planned if you and I will allow him to play out what he intended. Now keep going a few more books. You come to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews. The second verse of the 12th chapter says, He is the author and the finisher of your faith and mine. So if I look in this book, and this book tells me that he has made me more than a conqueror, and I feel like, man, I'm feeling like I'm more conquered than conqueror, then God's word is true, and God will perform his word. In the book of Isaiah, it says, He watches over his word to perform it, and so if he's watching over it to perform it, he's going to do his part. What's my part? To get up and say, okay, Mr. Conqueror, start conquering. Oh, this is good preaching today. Stop laying down. I, I, I read a story one time about this fella, He was talking to somebody. And the the guy asked him, said, well, how are you doing? They were two Christians. And the Christian responded, oh, I'm doing good under the circumstances. To that, his friend says, well, what are you doing laying under the circumstances? Get out of there. We all have circumstances. But God says, I don't only begin your life. I will finish your life. I'm the author and the finisher. But the contingency is you and I. I want to share a story that I've shared bits and pieces of over the years, but I want to share this entirety if I could. There was a, 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 a man that was a sexton in a cathedral in Europe. A sexton basically is a custodian. He's a guy that takes care of things and watches over this, this magnificent facility and, and, and the place of worship. Well, he was there, and he was admiring all the great and granderous works That was before him. And he was making a, a final, final circuit around the building, just making sure everything was correct. And he was going to check the choir loft and the organ loft and the balcony and the front of the church and the back of the church and all over. And all of a sudden he was startled when he heard footsteps walking through the building. He turned around and he, around and he saw a man that was, that was kind of, raggedly dressed in slightly tattered clothes walk up to him. He had a, he had a fedora on and, and not a very good shape. It was kind of worn out and, and a bit like that. And he, and he said, excuse me, uh, the church is closed and, and we're getting ready for the holidays and, and so you, you cannot stay here. We appreciate you coming, but you must come back later. And the man said to him, he said, sir, I have traveled quite a distance to see the great organ in this cathedral Would you mind opening the console that I might get a closer look at it? And the man was appalled. He said, don't you understand that you're in the house of God? I had to put that piece in there. That little enunciation makes it sound more realistic. Okay, yeah, it doesn't. This section was about to enter in to the orchestration of God's plan for life. He was about to see life from a very different perspective. And I want you today to journey with me for the next few minutes. And let's look at life from the perspective of the conductor who is God Almighty. Listen to me just quickly. Before you were ever brought into this world, God had your whole life orchestrated. From the moment you were conceived... The moment life began, your whole life was orchestrated before you. And God says, I've got a plan for you, Patrick. So beautiful. And I want to play it out. Let me conduct your life. Kelly, I have lined out the score of the chart that you're to follow. And if you'll let me, I'll take you to the symphonic heights of my grandeur and glory. If you'll let me, be the one orchestrating your life. If you'll let me, Eric Rustler, Sr., even the bad the enemy means, I'll flip it around for good. But you got to let me do it my way you got to let me walk you through it. There's too many times in our lives, ladies and gentlemen, that we try to talk God out of the plan he has for our lives. Because it gets a little tough. It gets a little hot. How many ever been just on fire living for God and everything just kind of falling apart? Okay, we've got two people raising their hand. The rest of you must be a whole lot holier than me. Gary, how was, what do you think? You had a few problems in your life? One or two, Okay, just okay. one or two. But God has the plan. He has made it beautiful. He has already orchestrated it. He has set it forth. The sexton said, no, you, you, you can't do that. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. Sadly, too many churches, that's the way we are. Is we don't want anybody doing things except the person that is supposed to be authorized to do that in the church we don't want anybody to pray for us except the pastor that's his job can you give me chapter and verse on that that's all of our jobs and i tell you what there's sometimes there's sometimes i would rather have brandon pray for me than me pray for you There's sometimes people come up to me and say, Pastor, let me pray for you. (laughs) It's going to sound bad. (laughs) And I have to stop real quick to think, do I want them praying for me? (laughs) Oh, how could it be bad? Well, if I'm having enough time of a struggle, I want to have somebody with a little bit more faith than I have praying for me. Is everybody thoroughly offended? That's okay, i got a good series for you. But think about it. Do we not just want the person doing it that's supposed to it's amazing that not a single person thought that Jesus' life would end the way it ended yet it was part of God's plan it was part of God's orchestration it was part of God's symphony if you will Everyone missed the turn of events that took him to Calvary, yet this is exactly what God chose. The sexton refused the stranger. But the man seemed so persistent and so insistent that he finally gave in. He opened the cathedral console and he showed the the great, uh, beautiful uh, uh, organ and everything. And then all of a sudden, he asked the unpardonable question: "May I sit on the bench?" And to this, the section he exploded: "No, only the organist. And what if the organist comes in right now? They'll get. I'll lose my job." But the custodian noticed something. It seemed like the man was very familiar with the organ was very familiar with the console let's just bring it here today did you ever notice that somebody that's a Christian in the church you can tell how comfortable and familiar they are just by simply the way they act now I'm not talking about they act really super religious I remember years ago when I was Talking to different people about this one particular subject. I told them the last person I wanted to was a person that spoke Christianese perfectly. Now what I mean by that. Is how many have met those people that every other word is hallelujah. Every other word is praise the Lord. Every other word is glory to God. I don't hang around those kind of people too much. Not because they're bad people. It's just sometimes we get into This Christianese perspective that we think by virtue of our holy speaking, it makes us more spiritual. Am I making any sense at all today? But that's not the kind of person that I notice. That's not the kind of person that I see. I see through all of that and see the real person that really loves God and really feels comfortable. When the altar call comes, they have no problem running to the altar. When there's time to pray for somebody, they have no problem getting up and praying for somebody because they have a familiarity in God. The custodian noticed the stranger seemed to be very much at home. And so he didn't get struck at all by surprise when the stranger asked if he could be allowed to play the organ. Let me in the next 10 or 15 minutes wrap this session up. In God's word, he says, I make everything beautiful in its time. In God's word, he says, he puts all the pieces together. And you and I, as his people, have to learn to trust his way. I ask this question, have you ever been involved in something that seems, seemed to be God and yet you held back just because it wasn't the way you always did it? Anybody here besides me that done that? You kind of hold back, you're questioning it and later you see it was God all over the place and now you regret that you didn't just step out of the boat something inside of you kept prodding it's okay i'm in this the lord would say yet we didn't completely turn to trust the opportunity the scripture says very clear we have to trust god to build his house we can hesitate to make sure as long as that hesitation doesn't turn to elimination of what god wants I remember a woman who prayed for her husband to get saved. And she was praying and talking to God and said, I prayed so long and hard for the conversion of my husband, but my husband is as far off from conversion as ever. And then the Lord began to speak to her and says, Why do you want your husband converted? And the woman replied, Oh, Lord, it would be so nice. How different... The house would be. And the Lord stopped her and began to rebuke her. And the Lord began to say, You are forgetting. Isn't the conversion about the good of your husband and the glory of God? When we think that things have to go the way we want them to go, is it not because we're looking more on the glory of ourselves instead of the glory of God? Or the person involved. There's an old adage out there that says it's amazing what you can get done if it doesn't matter who gets the credit. God began to continue the conversation. And he said, young lady, it seems that you are only thinking mainly of yourself. And how your life would change if he got saved. And he said, you should rather pray for his conversion Simply because your husband needs a Savior. When something is happening in your life as a Christian, even if it didn't go the way you thought it should go, should it not be just that we rejoice in the fact that it all worked out in the end? Isn't that a good way to look at it? Maybe I'm too simple. Let's take a look at some perspectives in the scriptures. Peter was in in a solid bottom boat. And there was a great storm. But yet he was in a solid bottom boat. And he sees Jesus walking on the water. And Jesus tells him, come. Think about it. Solid bottom. Water. Come. Bottom. Water. Jesus. Hmm. Well, what did he do? He stepped out of what he knew was working into what he did know was going to work. And he walked on the water. There's times in our lives when we don't step out of the things that we are comfortable in that God is trying to lead us to just simply because it doesn't look like it's going to work. We have already rationalized well this isn't the way it's going to happen and God says don't you forget that I'm the conductor here, I'm the orchestrator here, I'm the one putting all of this together he told Peter, get out of the boat, he told David walk through the valley he told Moses, climb the mountain, he told Abraham go where you've never gone before he told Nicodemus, have faith and he told a man named Jairus, was standing at the bedside of his dead daughter, Just believe. This isn't logical stuff. But when God is drawing the plans of your life and mine, don't you think we should trust him? The man asked if he could play the organ and the custodian... He immediately said, definitely not. No one's allowed to play the organ except the cathedral organist. The man's face fell, and great disappointment was obvious. But he reminded the custodian once again how far he had traveled, and he assured him that no damage would be done. And finally, the sexton relented and told the stranger he could play the instrument, but only a few notes, and then he'd have to leave. Overjoyed, the stranger pulled out some stops, And began to play. Isn't the old man the picture of God and the sexton the picture of us? How much prodding God has to do just to get us to trust him. Just to get us to step out of the boat. Just to get us to believe him. Can I tell you something? He went all the way from heaven to earth just so he could go from a cradle to a grave to get us to believe. I've learned that even though I don't understand all the pieces of the music that God has planned for my life, that if I will let him, if I will let his plan be designed his way, he will get me to his glory. So the final, final part in your notes that I want to ask you is, will we trust God to do what he said? As I've read through the Bible many times in my life, I was always enthralled by the passage in 1 Corinthians 13. That says that we see things imperfectly now. As in a poor mirror. But then we're going to see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely. Just as God knows me now. Would it not be so much better if you and I in the greatness of our expectations, of our hearts saying, God, you've planned me to be victorious. You've planned me to be more than a conqueror. You've planned me to be an overcomer. Would it not be better just to let you play this thing out and just jump in it with all I have? I don't see it all real clear. But I do know that you have it all planned out. Let me go back to the story as we close. Suddenly the cathedral was filled with the most beautiful music that you could ever imagine and it seemed to transport the sexton heavenward and as suddenly as it started it stopped the doughty stranger stepped off the bench slipped away and started down the hallway Wait, cried the custodian. That is the most beautiful music that I have ever heard in my life. This cathedral has never been enveloped by such majesty. Who are you? And after a moment, the stranger replied, My name is Felix Mendelssohn, the one that built the organ. The one that wrote, wrote some of the greatest music of all time. Mendelssohn has now left the building. And the sexton is sitting there saying, I almost kept the master from playing the music of my life. Ladies and gentlemen, God calls you victorious. Victorious. God calls you a conqueror. God calls you the head and not the tail. He calls you an overcomer. Why do we let anyone or ourselves call us anything different? Why do we not let the master play the music of eternity in our hearts? This Christmas... I want to give you this scripture. Colossians 3. Since you have been raised to a new life in Christ. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Where Christ sits in the place of honor. At God's right hand. And think about the things of heaven. And not the things of this earth. Can I put that into perspective of our sexton and the minstrel Mendelssohn? Mendelssohn never took his sights off of heaven. But though the sexton was in the glory of the cathedral, in the glory of what should have been God's house, he missed the greatest music ever played. Almost. Because he thought he had it figured out his way. I think God did a pretty good job in creation. I think God has done a pretty good job in life. How about if you let him do the job he wants to do in your life? Can you say amen? Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the time that we have. We thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus that it's not by might and it's not by power, but that it's by your spirit that we have everything today. You are the one that has put together the symphony of our lives. And God, you have nothing planned but good things for our lives. And God, we allow so many struggles. We allow so many difficulties. Simply because we don't let the music just play out. Let the orchestra and the symphony be conducted by you. Help us, God, to take our eyes off of this earth and put them on you. That we could do all you called us to do, Father. In the midst of our lives. In Jesus' name,
1: Pastor Tim Masters, with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit VLCCAZ.org. That's VLCCAZ.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.